You're listening to Discography Discussion, episode 153, Children of Bodom. Hosted by Dan Terry. General Metalcore reporting for duty. Jeff Kane. Riddle me that, motherfucker. And Joseph Wren. Junt. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. And if you're ready for some borderline pirate metal, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe. That is Dan. That is Jeff. Children of Bodom. Not what I was expecting. It's not Children of Bottom. Nope, it's Children of Top. It is when you're from the deep, deep south. Well, shit, man. I've been saying it wrong my whole life. It's not the only thing. Children of I used to say genre instead of genre. Joe used to say degent instead of gent. I still say it. Yeah, he still says that. (laughs) I will will never stop. We will break you one of these days. No, it won't happen. (laughs) I always wonder what would break first, your bottom or your degent. Guess it doesn't sound good unless I have an actual mask on. We need to get we need to get Bane on the show. That would be great. The actual Bane? Pretty sure he's a fictional character. Oh, I was talking about the legendary hardcore band Bane. That's where I was going. Besides, Marvel's better than DC. We could save that for a different podcast. An image and Top Cow are better than both of them combined. Children of Bodom is interesting because I feel like we have another Slayer situation on our hands. We do one thing really well, very solid, for over 20 years. Not only that, but they do a lot of different things that we're calling the same thing. Because it's easy to call them a melodic death metal band, but they're way more than that. Yeah, the other thing, too, is, you know, it's not like they're, uh, they do make enough changes to, to stay relevant. Their tunings change throughout, and uh, the one thing that I like is they've continued to go on is they, they drop the keyboards in the mix. I mean, it's not like it was all the same. It had cosmetic changes over time. Right. But for the most part, when you listen to the band, you get the epic, progressive, death metal, atmospheric keyboards with the barking vocals. But then the chorus has a melody because this is power metal at its core. It's really good power metal. Yeah, especially their earlier stuff. Uh, You can definitely kind of get that gallop going on. You can hear it in the bass. I'm all about that something wild and follow the reaper. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so they're more like a uh, let's let's get rhinoplasty instead of uh, a tummy tuck and a boob job. Whenever they did the changes, just just enough to make it pleasing without going on a just total tangent of looking ridiculous. Well, before we talk about Jeff's brand of all natural enhancements, I want to take this time oh, to yeah. say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything discography discussion at discussmetal.com. We are on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion Podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening. And now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. We love five-star reviews here on Discography Discussion. We love them so much that whenever you leave us one, we'll read it on the show, which is what I'm going to do right now. Over on Apple Podcast, Benny Peabody says, love it. Very good podcast. I feel like I'm listening to multiples of me talking about a band. Maybe incorporate some discussion on a band's live performance if you've seen them. I thought we did that. We do that sometimes, but I'm kind of a piece of shit and don't go and see half the bands I talk shit about on my show. Well, the other problem, too, is we live in St. Louis. Nobody comes here to perform because they know they'll get their shit stolen. Not anymore. They caught those guys. <laughs> yeah, but that, I mean, that, that was like two months ago. <laughs> weren't, they, weren't they posting on Craigslist and they're like, yeah, buy all of these amps 
they're totally not stolen. Yeah, I, I have no idea. But they, they were stealing shit for years. Like, two fuckers ruining the entire scene for all of St. Louis. And I'm not just talking about metal. I'm just talking about small concert venues and people coming... Uh, that are trying to make a living were getting fucked every time they came to St. Louis. For how many years? I don't know. 15, 20 years. They just had houses full of that shit. Yeah, I was... The one that set me over the top is whenever they stole all of Jeff Loomis's stuff. I was done. I was like, yeah, fuck these bitches. You've crossed the line! <laughs> Dude, yeah, fucking Jeff Loomis is the god, man. I fucking love his shit. We got a comment from TJ Weber over on Twitter. Discuss Metal is genuinely one of my favorite podcasts always getting me to go back and deep dive into music I forgot about or written off. Going down the showbread hole now. That was quite a hole to go down. I remember, too, because we talked about anorexia nervosa, like, how many times? Throughout the podcast? Well, I think we spent, like, what, 40 minutes on it? It only ended up being about 20, but it felt like we went on for an hour and a half. Well, all I wrote, <laughs> all I wrote in my notes was pretentious bullshit for those albums, and I ended up talking way more about it because... As these discussions go on, you don't plan it, but then shit about it just keeps popping into your head while you're talking, and uh, that one kind of grabbed me by the balls, and I just felt like I had to get into it. So, Dan, you probably did talk for 40 minutes. It's just that Joe had to edit the fuck out of whatever it was you were saying. Well, I mean, that's every week. <laughs> <laughs> Think about how much time I save because I don't have to edit insert name of co-host anymore. Oh, that'd be me. But you're here now. I know, so you're fucked this week. Do you Sorry. know how many people are happy that you're here, Jeff? I just <laughs> want to let you know. People are happy that you're here. Everybody stop yeah, and clap that Jeff's here. Yeah, everybody's happy except for Joe, because now he's got to... Yeah, let's just say yeah. He can just put in a bunch of beeps, because I, I could say a bunch of terrible things. One thing I've noticed on the Facebook lately is the episodes are getting shared a lot, and I just want to appreciate every single one of you guys that has shared the episodes. Sharing the episodes does so much for our podcast, and we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. 1997. Something wild. As long as it's not something wicked. This way comes? It all comes this way. I beat you to it. I mean, I, defi <laughs> I definitely a certain way whenever I listen to this album. I don't know if I can leave that in the show. This hit me. This hit me like a, like a sack of bricks, dude. Like, this was not what I was expecting at all. I have not been a huge Bowden fan for very long. You know, I mean, I, th I think we all heard Hate Crew Death Roll back in the day when it came out, when this style of metal was kind of starting to come over here to the U.S. I kind of always thought that Children of Bowden was going to be a melodic death metal band, like, you know, kind of like In Flames or Dark Tranquility or Soil Worker bands like that. And they definitely are melodic death metal, but it's like melodic death metal, power metal... <laughs> thrash metal, a traditional heavy metal, you know, earth metals. Yeah, there's a bit of uh, symphonic metal, just mainly because the hearing the keyboards have such a prominent role. It's the old school progressive metal keyboards where they're not just there, they're pronounced. Yeah, it's very, very pronounced and I think it's what, the first three. <laughs> well, and the guitar work has kind of this like neoclassical bend to it. Ingve Malmsteen is what I would call that. Yeah, yeah. that's called arpeggios. <laughs> if you're talking Ingve. Yeah, it really is a lot like that. And normally I hate shit like that, but it really works here. The way the way the keyboards kind of come in too, like the guitars are so like gnarly and out there that sometimes I can't tell if I'm hearing a keyboard solo or a guitar solo. Yeah, because of the tone. Yeah, like they, they almost match. And I just, I mean this, this record fucking brought it, dude. Like it's not even, um 
Okay, well, it is cheesy. I can't say that it isn't cheesy. But I don't know. Like, it, it kind of comes across as really cool. It's because it's in your face. I mean, it. There's. it's not at the laid-back, typical power metal where you're just kind of galloping along and having fun. Now, these, they're here to kick ass and take names while playing it, which is really enjoyable because that's not always the case with that style of music before these guys came around. So it's it's an it's an enjoyable listen because it's it's kind of like hitting power metal at one and a half speed or something. Yeah, kind of like it's not like breakneck speed all the time, right? But it can be that. Like it's it's hard to say. Like I just like that it's death metal in its base without being like a Gothenburg type of band. You know what I'm saying? I like how many people would compare this directly to Iron Maiden, even though Iron Maiden doesn't have this type of symphonic presentation they're considered by many to be the standard of power metal but they're basically just a melodic thrash band this is more of the i want to say everything that was popular in japan when it comes to hard rock and heavy metal throughout the decades almost everything is appreciated over there through time there's an entire group of people that listen to every style dress every way, behave every way. And one of the things that guitar players over here really started to pay attention to was all these anime theme songs that sounded like, it all sounded like a symphony thrown together with a thrash metal band. There's one guitarist and he does all the crazy diddly stuff. But this sounds like a solid metal band that just has a keyboardist. And it really does work. It's not your run-of-the-mill thrash metal, progressive metal. We really wish we were dream theater kind of band. Well, I think they just kind of took elements that they liked and what they thought would work well with them, and they kind of just uh, put it in a melting pot and put it all together, and it it sounds great because they're you know they're definitely pulling you know from multiple elements and putting it together, making it their own, and that's kind of what you want from a band is to to find their groove and and go with it and continue to get better and make good music as they're going throughout the career and. They've done that, and that this is a, this was an excellent start out of the gate because I think they had only been together for two years before they made this full release. That's pretty fucking quick. Whenever you think in band terms, to go from nobodies to making a, a full length release, it's also ridiculous to think about what this came out against. Slayer was about to put out a groove metal record. You had all the Pantera fans. Metallica had just done Load and Reload, was about to put out Garage Inc. New Metal was taking over. And here comes a symphonic death metal record out of nowhere. Most people either didn't pay attention to it or didn't know it existed. But I'm so glad it exists. It's fucking great. You know what? I just had a thought. When I hear Children of Bodom, if, if it was to form a... Uh a mental image for me f from the music, they sound what Ghost looks like for me. I'm going to let you have that one, Jeff. Because I don't disagree. So, you know, it's funny because whenever you go and you see Ghost, I mean, like, if all of a sudden they started playing Children of Bodom shit, I think everybody would have gone fucking wild. As opposed to fucking Blue Oyster Cult. <laughs> yeah. So that's just kind of the vibe I get from this because, you know, it's just kind of dark, but kind of haughty and exalted all at the same time. Like the Hall of the Mountain King video from 1987. Yeah, I mean, kind of. <laughs> that's exactly it. I mean, it just... It, it, but that Hall of Mountain King kind of gives you that vibe, too. Fantasy. Mystery. Yeah, yeah mis, mis, you know, mystery, dark, but fun, and badass all Jim at the same Henson time. Jim Henson puppets. 
Well, what I like about Children of Bodom, they have a very technical nature to their music. Like, it's very well-constructed. However, they go more for the, yeah, we're just here to have a good time angle than I think a lot of bands like this do where, they, you know, one guy in the band thinks he's really progressive and they end up making like 30-minute songs that go nowhere. They're not so pretentious and up their own ass. Yeah, they're not. In, our, in your famous words. Correct. And so that's what I really like about it is that I get a record that just has, you know, seven or eight songs on it. And that's all it is. It doesn't. It's not trying to be some bigger, greater thing. And spoilers, it's going to be that way for a while. <laughs> 1999, Hate Breeder. So it's like Hate Breed, but like more? It's more like the guy who is in charge of the Hate Breeding. Okay. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> Yo. So this is more of that. Everything we said on the last record. If anything, this sounds a little bit thinner, which is surprising to me. We're getting close to the 2000s. We haven't taken over with the digital revolution of making everything sound thin and boring. So this keeps the 1980s classic hair metal, thrash metal sound of thin, punchy guitars with double bass and the symphonic punch. Everything that we had in the last record, we have that again here. These are just new songs. Well, if you think it's thinner, I think it's because... Uh trying to get the uh, more of an ethereal feel to the vocals kind of like a at least that's what i got out of this one i really liked uh the vocals on this quite a bit it's a record that reminds me of listening to cassette tapes and for me that's awesome that's nostalgic that's my old slayer tapes my metallica tapes i love all that stuff so for me this is not bad if this was a vinyl record i'm certain dan terry would want to own it yeah kind of like the uh like metal tapes, whenever you'd have the metal switch on your tape Absolutely. deck. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's because you get that really bright feeling to it. That's kind of what you get out of this. It's thinner and brighter, and it's not as warm and deep. With the automatic reverse that plays the second side. Yeah. Love it. Sounds more symphonic to my ears. Like, there's a little bit more keyboard, a little bit more of that, like, weird medieval thing that these types of bands like, like to do. Why is medieval always associated with symphonic and fantasy? I don't know. It's kind of weird because whenever I say medieval, a lot of the times it's not a good descriptor. Like I'll say that like early in flames or dark tranquility sounds kind of medieval, but it's really, it's not. That's more just like folk melodies. Whereas this band doesn't really rely on the folk melodies. And that's actually what I like about them. It's refreshing to hear a Finnish death metal band not rely on like the Scandinavian thing, you know, um, the roots of our music is not in America. Therefore, we will play our roots in our music, and it will sound like Scandinavian ice and wind and strange gods with strange beards and braids and whatever. Yeah, you know, because the interesting thing is a lot of that stuff, you know, it's Baroque. I mean, is what it really is. I mean, you're talking about classical composers is what they're getting their inspiration from. And I'm mocking in jest because that's what you think of when you think of that mentality and that presentation. I but was just, yeah, I was just trying to explain more of what I think where Dan was coming from whenever he says, you know, that it's medieval. Absolutely. Uh, you know, that's that was what the style of music was back then. It was, you know, it was broken, grandiose. I mean, that was the whole premise behind it. It was because you're going to a show to be entertained because they didn't have recordings back then. But yeah, I, I it's very. It, Children of Bodom, I think, is going to be one of the uh, reviews that we're going to end up doing where we... It's kind of hard to say, like, a lot of bad stuff about them. The only thing that you can ever say bad about them sometimes is that you end up with 
sometimes a little too much of uh, the more of the same issue, but they do it so fucking well, you can't really complain about it. Well, the vocals kind of get a little repetitive after a while. Yeah. But I think one of the cool things about this band is they don't really resort to cleans. Because, like, if you can't clean sing, you know, don't just sing shitty in flames. Oh, well, there's there's some really ridiculous uh, clean singing on the first two albums that go away. Since we're talking about clean singing on this. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even the classic thrash vocals. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even call that clean though. Like it's just a different it's kind of a little bit of like a death and roll situation if you've if you've listened to many like some of the later entombed albums, you would call them death and roll, where they're just trying to sound rock and roll. Silently vanishing and reappearing. But it's kind of this it's kind of this weird like European version of what they think American biker culture is like. And so you get like They've been watching too many movies about Hell's Angels. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He's a rebel without a cause. Well, the highway is my friend. You know, like, it's fine. Mad Max was a documentary. I think that, uh, I think they still sound kind of cool, though, in the context of the songs. And it's unexpected, and it's entertaining, and it's not done all the time. Yeah, I was going to say, that's probably my only complaint on the first two albums, uh, other than the fact that uh, I'm not a huge fan of the... um, Keyboards being so prominent in the mix. And I think that's actually really the first three albums that it's like that. Probably the first four. But yeah, I, that those are, I mean, if that's really my only complaints. I mean, it, you're, you're doing okay. Holy shit, Jeff's a meathead on this one. I need more guitars. Yeah. I mean, hey, they don't have a lead violin, so yes. Are we ready to follow the Reaper? I think we are. Andy Adkins says he was the Reaper, so I will follow you, Andy. 2000, follow the Reaper. Did you guys like the last two albums? You're going to say that thing where we say, did you like it? Well, you get more of it now, except it might sound different on this one. It doesn't sound different. (laughs) No, this is definitely uh, more of the same. The the one thing I did like on this one was uh, the movie quotes. Kind of a, uh, I like The Exorcist 2 and 3, when nobody else does. Everybody just likes the first one. So they quote The Exorcist 3 on this one, I think it is. That's a good fucking movie. Oh, it's terrible, and it's good because of it. Same thing with 2. No, 2 is just terrible. <laughs> no, I fucking love those locusts, man. But yeah, this is, as Dan said, more the same. And that's not a bad thing in this instance. You know, we're to the point now that they're establishing themselves, and they have a pronounced style that they're sticking to, and, uh, and it's working for them. They're starting to get noticed outside of Europe, which is good. And uh, this is the one that really starts revving it up. And it's to the next album that you really start, you know, gaining traction over here in the States. This one I felt like was a little bit more power metal, though, than the previous two, which was kind of a blend of death metal or melodic death metal and power metal. I feel like this one's even more bright, more happy sounding, more upbeat. You know, as happy as as a guy growling that sounds like a goat with his throat cut sounds. Uh, the music is very bright. It's in your face. It's it's more so even than Hate Breeder. And uh, I think that if they had a clean vocalist, this would be almost indistinguishable from a power metal release. It would sound like a 1980s epic singing Robert Plant size vocals with this type of music. It would be the anime soundtrack. Yeah, the only the big plus for me on this one is that uh, this has got a song the Blue October covered, Hate Me, 
I'm really glad you pointed that out, Jeff, because not a lot of people know that's a cover. <laughs> so many people think that it's an actual original song. Oh, I wait, would... you're fucking with me, right? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> oh, God, I was like, please, Joe, don't fall for it. <laughs> Come on, Jeff. It's good improv. Yes, and not what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I've been practicing. It's a good fucking song. Yeah, it is. It was like the single that finally really got him noticed over here. I mean, it's got some great band names on here. We got Every Time I Die, Bottom After Midnight, Northern Comfort. I'm not even joking. Go look it up. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a shitty version. Maybe it's like a colder version of Southern Comfort, like frozen Southern Comfort. I no, don't know. it's just vodka. But I thought this one was like the most fun, and, and I'm going to stick with that, that it's, it's their most fun record. I just don't really, you know, like I'm not, I'm not sick of it at this point. I'm not going to fault a band for continuously delivering what the fans want. You know, metal fans, as we've discussed, are very, very hard to please. And I think in this case, you're pleasing that hardcore fan that's like, you guys are great, you're awesome, don't ever change. And I think every band gets a free pass for their first three albums or so, being in the same vein at least, because you're still you're still trying to perfect a sound. You're not trying to innovate yet at this point. Yeah, and then bringing up the point too, you know, they were only together two years before the first full release came out, which is pretty unusual. That's more than In Flames. Yeah. Didn't they write Lunar Strain like overnight? Yeah, but that's that's well, one of them did. That's further in the other direction than most. Most of the time, people are scrounging and tooth and nail in it trying to get going for more than just two years before you actually release a a full release for the entire world to hear that does doesn't happen very often plus it's got the guitar solos yeah three records of that do you know how hard it is for me to find a good guitar solo on this show i'm so happy we did this discography it's because you know i want to listen to metalcore all the time <laughs> they don't really have good guitar solos yeah and i want to listen to grindcore so, Ben C. Well, we'll have to have Jeff back on the anal episode. Yeah. Well, that's that's guys from uh, Soil Working Aborted. So that's good shit right there. 2003. Hate. Crew. Death Roll. All right. This is my introduction. Now we're fucking talking. Mine too. Yeah. This is the first time I heard these guys. And holy fucking shit, they blew my mind whenever I heard it. I like the record, but listening to it this week... I thought it was extremely lacking in the production department. Terrible. That's not a reason not to listen to it. It's a good fucking record. But that's one of the issues with doing this show is you get the entire chronological release, not the newest record by the band, or in your case and Dan's case, the first record by the band. So it's badass. It's just not as good as the other ones, I don't think. Still intense. No, this one scratched that itch for me. It was the first time that I, I heard some jams that I really enjoyed. I, I It's probably my favorite album, um, just because it's probably my introduction. You know, it's one of those things, you get that emotional attachment, and I just thoroughly enjoyed what I was hearing. It was different for me, and I, because uh, I normally am not a big keyboard guy. You know, I, I've been, I was in the, you know, the shoot Jordan Reedus in Dream Theater being infinitely better band. That's kind of how my mentality was. So I, I just didn't like keyboard players that were prominent. And then this came along and I was like, okay, fucking dig this stuff. This is good. <laughs> well, this is a lot less on the keyboards. The keyboards aren't being shoved up your ass. The neoclassical sound is somewhat downplayed. The riffs are heavier. They go for like, there's like some groove riffs where they just like slow it down a little bit more. 
and there's a lot more focus on actual like melodic hooks in the songs and put it all together in a blender and this isn't just a power metal band with screaming vocals anymore now they're going for an actual heavy you can really hear that on six pounder that's one of my favorites and triple course uh, triple corpse hammer blow those songs are some of the heaviest songs they'd written to date and used the keyboard as kind of just a establisher of atmosphere more so than like we're gonna play a fucking keyboard solo now agreed yeah because it kind of gave you that ethereal feel to to set the tone of what was to come what's funny and you know what i'm talking about unpleasable metal fans ladies and gentlemen unpleasable metal fan people criticized this album for being too mainstream sounding this is 2003 you did it all for the nookie or you didn't do it what the fuck, guys? Well, by 2003, nobody listened to Limp Bizkit. I'm trying to hold on to it, goddammit. <laughs> although, although they do have a little bit of a Limp Bizkit thing going on and that they are obsessed with their band's name. Every album has a song with the word Bodum in it. <laughs> well, not every, but to this point, yes, every album so far. They just but, can't get over it. They're yeah, like, fuck yeah, look at Bodum. It's yeah, cool Bodum work. Beach Tear is actually one of my favorite songs on this album, so... I, I don't have a problem with it at all. I would actually, this is going to be a controversial statement, but I actually put this right up there with uh, Slaughter of the Soul by At The Gates. Really? As far as being um, a band that was more or less obscure, in the United States at least, uh, that that hits with an album that has basically universal appeal. Yeah, this one even uh, found its way into Headbangers Ball on a, with a couple of tracks, which, I mean, that was like... You you fucking made it if you were a metal band if you if you found your way onto Headbangers Ball back in the day. Well, I mean, at this point, like, dude, fucking normies were coming up to me being like, "Hey, have you heard Hate Crew Death Roll by Children of Bodom?" Really, dude? You just said normies? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that though. Like, metal at that time in the U.S. was starting to get so big that people were hearing shit like Demi Borgir and they were hearing shit like Children of Bodom and Cradle of Filth, and like it was all getting very in arch enemy. Like, it was all kind of part of this. And you know what you have to thank for that? Jackass. Yeah. Bam Margera. I mean, you can shit on the guy all you want, but at one point he was, you know, highly influential in the MTV culture. I admit, he's the reason I know Turbo Negro. So, yeah, I mean, he brought a lot of that uh, good music over because he had a lot of those guys on, you know, the various shows that he did on MTV. And, you know, people pay attention to that, and people were huge fans of Bam and Jackass and, you know, Viva La Bam and all that stuff. So, I mean, it makes sense on people are starting to catch on because that's, you know, that's what was making it happen. Jeff, I think you just solved the puzzle. The MTV fans were watching shows about jackasses listening to Finnish death metal they'd never heard before. Yeah. I think you get a cookie for that one. Woohoo! <laughs> Well, this was a great album, and of course, the old school fans are only going to like the more obscure previous albums because, well, they're more obscure, and look at what I heard that you didn't hear. You guys are all a bunch of fucking losers. You're a bunch of posers. I can't believe this band that I like and wanted to do well is now doing well, so fuck them. I don't want them to do well anymore. Blah, 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 blah. Where have I heard that before? This is a great record, and it really, in a lot of ways, was their best record up to that point. I still think it's, well... I think it's in their top two. To me, it's the pinnacle. The This one and the next uh, are the pinnacle. I mean, it's... Really? I think it's a tie. You ready for Are You Dead Yet? Yeah. 2005. The answer is no. Not yet. Working on it every day. It's called Living. Well, this record was certainly heavier than the previous ones. 
Uh, they definitely dropped those guitars. And the keyboards collectively are much lower in the mix, too. And the power metal is almost gone here. They're, they're going for more of a straight-on, like, melodic death metal sound. At this point, they're trying to appeal to the fans of In Flames or Dark Tranquility or At the Gates or Arch Enemy. And I think they're doing pretty well, although I think this is probably their most uh, basic-sounding release. It's tame. But it's not necessarily a bad thing because... You know, on some of the old Bodum albums, there's just so much shit going on at once that it's kind of hard to keep track of all of it. I shouldn't have to listen to a record five times before I get it. And uh, this record is a little bit more like we're going to feed it to you a little bit slower, but we're going to be heavier and we're going to be a little bit closer. to it. Like, it's a little bit more Americanized. Yeah, it is. And I'm fine with that. I don't necessarily have an issue with stuff that's you know, overly produced. It's a different sound for them. Uh, personally, so I like the fact that they're doing something a little different, even if it's what everybody else is doing. I really don't give a shit, you know, especially in today, considering what, how, how old is this album? 15 years old or whatever it is? Yeah, it's old as fuck. You know, it doesn't matter today. You know, sure, it may be mattered to some people that were pretentious assholes in 2005, but oh, that would be Dan. But I fucking love this album, man. It, It's definitely, it's catchy. It's got some hooks. It's got some groove going on in it, and I, I like that shit. I mean that, I mean, I'm an unabashed groove fan. So anything you can do to bring a little bit of the, uh, feel like I can move to it, even though it's metal, I'm perfectly happy with it. And there's a lot of that on this album. I'm a fan of the groove. I like riffs. Some of the earlier material was more of the, look what I can do with my guitar versus here's the cool riff for the song. This album has the most groove to date. It's got solid riffs. I'm sure a death metal purist will complain about it. I can't do that for the same reasons because I like the record. If the previous albums were too complicated for you to pay attention to and enjoy, this one is leaning more towards the we're playing songs that you might like we're not trying to become popular. We're not trying to put out the Black Album and become Metallica, but we are trying to appeal to more people. And honestly, we've blown through so many ideas that some of the slower, more groove-type riffs that we wouldn't use before, they're starting to sound like good song ideas. You see, I, I do think they were going with uh, let's get as popular as we can get with this album. Eventually, you gotta get paid. But or they you gotta it, stop doing it. But they did it right. You know, there's there's no stupid bullshit on this record. There's no, like, who, me, now? Used to be afraid to let it go. Bow down. There's no evil in a fucking closet. There's nothing... Fuck you, man. There's I love nothing that album. stupid. But, like, they, but they didn't go stupid. They didn't just, like... Yeah, they simplified their songwriting a little bit. They dubbed it down for us a little bit. But they didn't just, like, immediately be like, you know what I think we need? Clean they need, choruses. And you know what they need is some Britney Spears. What they really needed. How are you going to get out of this one, Jeff? <laughs> Dude, they covered Oops, I Did It Again. They absolutely did. It was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where I was going with it. <laughs> I was just going to let you die on that hill, but you found a way to crawl out. I prefer their cover of Ghost Riders in the Sky. But that's yeah, just it, me. It, all of it's better than uh, their cover of Danger Zone. I hate that song. I think that's so bad. 
They're definitely a band that can't just cover any song they want to, but don't tell them that. <laughs> they do a lot of, co- like, all their bonus, like, a ton of their bonus stuff is covers. So if you, you know, if you're a collector, I mean, that's the reason why you're collecting is you want to get all their covers, because they, they actually do a crap ton of them. Well, I want to give a disclaimer on the next album. The next album is not the name of a Cannibal Corpse album, but it should be. <laughs> 2008, Blood Drunk. Give it time, Dan. It could still happen. It could still happen. I mean, you're, yeah, you're, it's not like they're not making music. That's true. Blood Drunk, I don't know. It's just like Gorb-sessed, Blood Drunk. I don't know. It just, <laughs> it just rolls off the tongue, but uh, a lot better than Evisceration Plague. This one, I- am I wrong, but do they sound a little Gothenburg here, guys? There's no little. Like, I'm like, fuck, am I listening to like a, a B-side, a Dark Tranquility B-side here? I don't know if Dark Tranquility has this much keyboard. They do. But if they did, okay, they do. <laughs> yep, they do. <laughs> this is the only album that I'm not, that I'm kind of like, I could pass on this one. I don't think that this is like their most amazing work. And it's a little bit more dumbed down, I feel, than they had ever been before. Where they're like, we're just going to release a kind of a generic melodic death like a melodic death metal album in the Gothenburg style, even though we're not from Gothenburg. And we had a super original sound before this. So we're just, we're, we're going to do this because this is what everyone else is doing. You're doing this because this is what sells. And they sold, what, 20,000 copies in the first week, which is fucking insane for a metal band. They sold a couple of them, yeah. Um, I mean, it's 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 pretty impressive. I mean, because you're in the digital, digital era, you know, where album sales just don't exist anymore. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't mind it. I mean, it, I think it's quite enjoyable. But then again, I like the Gothenburg sound. I could listen to the Gothenburg sound all day and night and never complain. So I'm perfectly happy with what they're giving me. I only like it with bands that are like innovators in that genre. Everything else, it's kind of hard for me to really digest because I'm like, eh, I could listen to another band do this maybe a little bit better. But in saying that, it's not like Bodum's bad. It's not that they can't deliver that style. But I don't know. It just doesn't. It doesn't hit me quite like the old Bodum releases do. Uh, see, I just I view it as their spin on the Gothenburg sound. I don't think it's like a straight up. There's still plenty of elements of Children of Bodum here to know. It's exactly who you're listening to, between the vocals and the keyboards, especially. I mean, his his voice is very easy to tell who you're listening to. So I, I don't I don't mind it at all. And I like the fact that they're, you know, it's not the same album as it was for the first three. They've had three albums that were pretty much the same. And then they, you know, these last two are pretty much the same. Well, it's I'm not fine with that. It's not nearly as unoriginal as their next album. <laughs> Skeletons in the Closet uh, that came out in 2009 is uh, it's a covers album. That's really all I'm going to say about it. If you want to hear if you want to hear Children of Bodom absolutely butcher some songs. Uh, this is the record to do it to, uh, depending on how you feel. Like, I, I feel like some of the co- covers hit, like their cover of Ace is High is great, but I don't know. If you've been collecting all of the Japanese releases of these albums, you pretty much have all these covers anyway. Yep. 2011, Relentless, Reckless, Forever. Well, well, well. My first thought is the guy, whoever the artist was for this was the same guy who does all the art for all the Iced Earth albums. That was the first thing that came into my head uh, when I saw this. I don't want to think about Iced Earth. I don't, <laughs> Iced Earth is good, like, one album, you know, every few months instead of, what, the 15 we did in a 
two weeks. Ugh. It was a fun two weeks. Yep, this is also the first album that doesn't have a song with uh, Bodum in the title. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of notable. That's about it. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> really think that this record was... Okay, if it's the first Children of Bodum album you heard, you're still going to get into the band. You're going to listen to their records because it's just that they have been delivering to us at this point on such a high level. Like, we're expecting everything to one-up the next thing. Like, there's this human expectation we have to where, how are they going to blow our minds even more? Because even the craziest albums that you listen to, once you've listened to them a thousand times, they don't sound crazy anymore. And this record is kind of in the same vein as, really, some of the older stuff. But you're sitting there like, well, I've heard it all already. We're, we're finally enough albums in to where it's like, okay, guys... What else you got in your grab bag? Well, I'll tell you what. The the one thing that uh, I didn't have the bonus edition on this album. Uh, Yeah, I think I'm going to go listen to that as soon as we get off here. Because they fucking cover Eddie Murphy's uh, party all the time. Holy shit. The actual fuck, Jeff. I swear to God, dude. I'm I'm fucking listening to that because I love... My girl wants to party all the time. Part yeah, I can't fucking wait, man. That's probably gonna sound like just just as bad as I did. But what does that say about the fucking album, though? <laughs> that the exciting <laughs> that the exciting part of it is the Eddie fucking Murphy cover. Like, are you serious? So the joke is the band does a cover that you like to make up for the seemingly identical material that makes up the bulk of the record. It's not bad. It's just lackluster, and I know they're better than this. No. Like, do I need to hear another keyboard solo? Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. I'm going to have to say on this particular case, you're going to have to hear it because this band has keyboards. They have lead guitars. They take turns. They play in sync. It's awesome. I mean, I'll give it a little bit of credit in the sense that, like, they are going back to what they kind of got big doing. They're not really trying to experiment much. And, you know, as a Slayer fan, I love that. But. As a music reviewer, I have to say, like, yeah, they're 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 starting to sound pretty samey at this point. I think maybe it went over a little bit better for the overall audience, who maybe felt like their sound was starting to get a little bit more dumbed down. And this is not that. This is kind of a return to form. If I'm listening to it two years after the previous release, 2013, Halo of Blood of Blood. Guys, it's 2013, and Children of Bodom put out a new record. I'm going to throw this one over to Jeff to start off, and if you say anything about the fucking cover songs, I don't care if there's a rock set cover. Nope, I wasn't going to go there. Okay. No. It's it's a children of Bodom album. I mean, it, it's we're to the point now where it's starting to get a little played out. Easy to listen to any of their albums whenever you're not cramming to review their material, because I like them all. It's just that whenever you try to cram all of this all of their music all together it was the same thing that uh since i mentioned iced earth earlier i'm starting to have the same issue that i have with iced earth which is a band that i love and that is is that it's too much of the same again and i'm starting to get to the point where i'm like okay this is really good music but it also sounds very similar to what i've been listening to and normally that's not a bad thing because as a fan and you're consuming this, you know, three years after the last album, that's exactly what you want. But when it, I started listening to this three minutes after I finished the previous album, 
it becomes an issue as a reviewer and kind of disappointing. Right, because I'm listening to it, you know, while I'm playing Champions Norath on the PS2, and by the time I get to this record, it's 2 a.m., and I'm starting to nod off. Whereas if it was a little bit more interesting of a band, I, I may have been more into it. Because, like, when we were listening to Cannibal Corpse, I was doing the same thing. And their stuff sounds very samey as well, but their music was a little bit more interesting overall. Whereas with uh, w- with Children of Bodom, they do a lot of cool shit. They do a lot of cool tricks. The solos are cool. The The musical composition is actually better than it has been and that the band is better at writing songs than just a collection of parts, which is what their early material was. So, I mean, there, there are improvements there, but as far as the overall sound goes, it all just blends together. Like, it might as well just be a whole bunch of different parts thrown together into a song. I think if you're a guitar guy or a fan of symphonic death metal in general everything here is good you're going to listen to the songs that you like you might learn how to play them and go start a band that does this style of music listening to it back to back there's a reason why you don't just listen to children of Bodom every single day the biggest fault is that it is so similar but if you're a fan of the band and you went home on a thursday and picked out a record put it in listen to it you're going to be happy. There's nothing wrong with it. There's just nothing really to say that's different from the other records. It's another album. Does everybody want to worship Chaos? I do. I guess, if I don't have anything else to do. 2015, I worship Chaos. Sure, I'll join your cult. I enjoyed it. I actually did too, and I enjoyed it because it was kind of a little bit more of a stripped down sound, and there's a reason for that. Yeah, they're, they're kind of missing somebody. Yeah, so uh, their guitarist, can you even pronounce his name? Me? Is it like Rup or? Rupe Latvala. There you go. That's, that's why know. we pay the big bucks. <laughs> uh, he left the band in 2015, and so uh, Alexi Laiho. Sure. Like you, yeah, you got Not it right. Bad. Uh, he did the uh, he he did the lead and rhythm guitar, and um, they didn't record this one in a studio. They recorded it in a warehouse, and it does sound suitably more punchy. Like it's in first of all, it's in drop B for most of the album, and you can definitely hear that that there's a hell of a lot more chunk on the guitar. Yeah, it's it's way dirtier, and I like it, and it's enough of a difference to catch your ear. Yeah, this is kind of the breath of fresh air that I've been talking about wanting. Yeah, I actually really, really enjoyed this album, and it's kind of like what you said, because I was, I watched, uh, if people haven't figured it out, I'm a huge hockey fan, and so I was watching uh, hockey and listening to most of their albums through uh, the last week and a half or so, and when this one popped on, I, I started paying attention, I was like, oh, wait, 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 okay, alright, this is some good stuff, and uh, can't complain, It's it's got to be good to take my attention away from hockey because like you could be talking to me and I can respond and I have no fucking clue what you just said and what I just said. Right, like most of the podcast. Right. <laughs> fucking Fuck look you. behind me, Jeff watching fucking hockey on his phone. Yeah, it's it's MMA night. I'm watching uh Conor McGregor and uh Donald Cerrone tonight. <laughs> no, I'm not. That's not till later tonight. You deserve to be fucking hexed, my friend. Oh, I I enjoyed myself thoroughly, and that was kind of it. Was like you said, it was a breath. It was a breath of fresh air because I was not expecting that at this point in time. I was fully planned to get more of the same, 
and it didn't happen. And I'm very, very happy that that didn't happen. I definitely enjoyed it. It was a little Gothenburg in places, but I'm going to go ahead and just let it go. It was fine. Um, this is a far cry from their very early material, which I think I prefer a little bit more. But overall, this was a really solid release, and I recommend it. I think if you're a guitar player, you know that changing your tuning counts as doing something different. So the fact that this one does not cosmetically sound the same, but still has many of the same ideas and the same feel, it's different enough to be interesting. It's a good record, but so far, they all are. Yeah, the other thing too, you know, we've shed on them a little bit uh, about the whole Gothenburg thing, but let's keep in mind, by this point in time, most of those Gothenburg bands didn't sound like Gothenburg melodic death metal anymore. No, they were putting out shit like Siren Charms. Yes. Fuck. (laughs) So... Really, it's more like uh, I feel like they're kind of like a torchbearer in the fact that you know it's been handed off. A, these guys are definitely more metal than most of the uh, the Gothenburg guys are at this point in time. So I'm happy to take it and run with it, and found myself enjoying myself way more than I thought I would on this. This was uh, some good jams on this one. Definitely one of their heaviest in a long time. 2019, hexed. Well, it's kind of the end of an era, isn't it? Quite literally. Did anybody else notice in 2019 that Children of Bodom put out a record that sounds like classic mortification? <laughs> I'm going to let it go there, but I don't hear that. it was shocking to me the way this one sounded like an album produced 15 years prior. It's all good. It's still that I Worship Chaos, lower-tuned, symphonic death metal sound that Children of Bodom is doing now. I definitely put it on the shelf with the coffin train and firepower. Really good examples of modern heavy metal. I thought it was a really good album, but I think it's really kind of hard to listen to it without thinking about the controversy that surrounds it, that this is the last album by this band as we know them. Yeah, why don't you tell us who left, Dan? (laughs) Well, (laughs) okay. Let's hear it. Here we go. Or, 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 or do you want me to do it? All right, we got Henry Henka T. Blacksmith. Sapala. All right. Jaska W. Rotakainen. 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 That sounds more Finnish. Okay. Uh, and keyboardist Yanni Werman. Verman, yes. Verman. V. Okay, it's a Jeff's W's giving you v. a lesson here. All right. I'm learning how to speak on the podcast <laughs> in real time. It's perfect. Do anything I can do to. Just give you a little shit. I got to do it. Well, they left the band. They had one final gig as that band. And, well, it, it it turns out that, well, their lead singer doesn't own the band name, <laughs> which as a lead singer, I will tell you, is a, is a rookie fucking move. <laughs> you got to own your shit, man. How, are you, how else are you going to hire a bunch of hired guns and go back on tour? You start a new band and call it Ghost. You can't. You can't do it. Uh, And so basically, unless these dudes give him permission to use the band name Children of Bodom, he's pretty much fucked. Well, they'll probably give him permission. But you got to pay the money. That's exactly right. (laughs) Yeah, sure. If you want to pay us for the album sales and yeah. Yeah, I need my slice of the pie because you are benefiting off of a name that I've helped build for two decades. I I mean, it makes sense. I wouldn't be surprised if the next thing that we hear is uh you know a band with a completely different name and they're gonna say that it i wonder if he can get away with uh like uh 
Children of Bodom featuring Alexi Laiho. I wonder if he could do it that way. He might be able to just throw his name at the beginning of it. Yeah, or, you know, Alexi's, you know, Children of Bodom, you know, because that, that's stuff like that has happened before as a workaround. Alexi's Children. Yes. He might be able to get away with it, but I mean, it's not going to sound anything like their previous material, which in my opinion, as we've been saying, is probably a good thing. Like, I'd actually be down to hear what he comes up with. Well, I don't know, because most of the people that have left over the last 10 years of the band that were consistent members, not just the the ones that just left, because I know they had their lead guitarist leave, I think in 2015, uh, before this, was uh, frustration with the direction of the sound and uh, creative differences. And if you're playing more of the same, I mean, I kind of get it. You're going to want to, if you're wanting to show your chops and and, sh- and prove that you're more than just a, you know, uh, a one-trick pony, you're going to want to, you know, spread those wings a little bit. And it, it's kind of hard to do that whenever you're still trying to make a buck at the same time for some people. You think they're going to keep the theme surrounding Bodum? We haven't really talked about where the name came from. Yeah, why don't you go on to that one? What I know about it is Bodum is a lake in Finland where in the 1960s, a group of children were murdered by an unknown assailant. Alexi. While they were in <laughs> a fucking tent. Some versions of the story say that he basically collapsed the tent around them to prevent them from escaping. Uh, that may or may not be true, but I don't know enough about it to say that it's not. So it's a very dark place in their history. Yeah, in the there was three people died, one person survived, and like 45 years after these murders, the one guy that survived it was uh, prosecuted for the crimes of murder in the other three. Did he do it with a six pounder? <laughs> uh, or a triple corpse hammer blow? Well, there was a little bit of that, but uh, knife and blunt, in- blunt instrument. Did but he have he- some friends there? Well, no, did did it- he form a hate crew death roll? Well, he ended up becoming uh, exonerated, and he was found not guilty. So there might have been some bodies, but it wasn't him. Yeah, and no, it's, it, it's sounds still like, it sounds like, well, we couldn't figure out who did this, so we're just going to blame the guy that survived. Yeah, it's an abortion of justice. Yeah, I can't believe, you know, 45 years later that... that yeah, because what, I think it was two, 2003, 2004, I think is when the trial hit was those two years. Yeah, pretty crazy. And it happened in 1960. So, I mean... The dude was, you know, in his 60s or 70s whenever he was put on trial. At that point in time, I'm just, you know, like, fuck it, man. Just, yeah, I'm guilty. Put me in prison where I get to have my three meals a day and my cable TV and my internet, my library and my gym and my showers. Because I know whenever uh, you send me to the retirement home, I'm not going to get that shit. This is the Finnish justice system, Jeff. I don't know if they're as nice as we are. Oh. (laughs) Yes, they're probably nicer, actually. Final thoughts on Children of Bodom. Jeff. Love the fuck out of him, man. It's it's fun. Just enough to uh, to keep you going as far as like the changes are concerned. The Like I said the, before, the only challenge that you have is uh, if you try to cram it all in a very short period of time. But I, I heard most of the stuff before already, and I had loved the crap out of it. So it didn't bother me too much. But uh, it, it, if you haven't checked them out, you're probably not a metal fan. <laughs> but Because you at least know who they are. They're 
they're a blast. If you're new to metal and you're uh, just checking out the podcast, uh, they're definitely uh, somebody I would say uh, go take a listen to. They are uh, a lot of fun. Damn, what about you? I think the band's rock fucking solid. I mean, you can't really go wrong with any of their releases, minor gripes aside. Uh, they always did a good job. They never fucked up. And uh, if you just are looking for a band where you're going to enjoy every release to some degree, you really can't go wrong with Children of Bodom. If you love riffs, if you love in-sync guitars and keyboards and symphonic metal, you are going to enjoy Children of Bodom. And if you're a classic thrash fan, you're going to love Children of Bodom because they do just enough of everything you like, including the harsh barking vocals, and they never really deviate from that. So listen to Children of Bodom. They're fucking badass. Damn, what's your album of the week? You know, I gotta say, man, it's a tie between A Sense of Purpose and Battles by Influ... No, okay. Uh, actually, it's um, it, the album's called The Search, and it's by a rapper, that's right, uh, called NF. Jeff, what about you? Uh, since we're uh, on the whole Bowden thing, uh, I'm going to go with another band from the area that's actually my preferred band from that location, and that is uh, the album Hydra by Satirial. I'll see your Hydra and raise you Driving Through Forever by Crush 40. Compilation of the greatest hits of the band who wrote the Sonic Adventure soundtracks. Take us out, DFT. Have you ever been listening to this podcast and thought to yourself, I want you guys to talk about this band. You've never talked about them, or in certain cases, you guys have beat around the fucking bush long enough. We don't know what band you're talking about. You got to tell us. I'm really forgetful. There's a lot of ways you can tell us. One of the ways is you can reach out to us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash discography discussion. You can tweet at us at Discuss Metal. You can send us an email at show at gmail.com. You can join our official group on Facebook, and you can also join our official Discord server. If you click on the link in the show notes, it'll take you to our Discord where you can talk to us directly pretty much anytime you want as long as we're awake. And on that note, this has been episode 153 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things Discography Discussion. And please, send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at patreon.com forward slash discuss metal. We have some sweet perks. Give me your money or give me your children. The truth walks by our side.